You're listening to Video Monsters, a weekly podcast. Uh, well, uh, mostly weekly. Sometimes more, sometimes less. <sighs> All right, fine. A mostly weekly podcast of Creatures Talking Features with your hosts, Nathan Simmons and Eric Harris. Video Monsters is brought to you by the Chattanooga Film Festival and Central Cinema in Knoxville, Tennessee. Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or online at chatfilmfest.org and centralcinema865.com. And links for each of these can also be found on our pages, so be sure to follow us at Video Monster Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Hello and welcome to episode 405 of Video Monsters. I'm Nathan, and tonight both Eric and Dan are off the grid. But I won't be breaking into my analysis alone because tonight I'm joined by very, very special guests, Andrew Adams, Jackie Von Pricing, and Mark Evans to discuss their film, American Meltdown. Say hello, everyone. Hello. Hi. I am so glad that you all are here because uh, I, I loved American Meltdown. It's a really, really fun film, and I'm looking forward to digging into it with you all. Um, but before we do that, we should probably make sure that the people who are listening like knows which voice goes with which person. Uh, so why don't you go around and introduce yourself and say what uh, what part you played in making American Meltdown? Sure. Um, I'll go first. Uh, so my name is Andrew Adams. I'm the writer and director of this. And um, as we'll probably get into on the podcast, it was a very scrappy shoot. So a lot of us wore a lot of hats. So some other roles might pop up. But basically, yeah, I'm Andrew. Uh, the Kermit sounding voice belongs to Mark Evans, and uh, he was the cinematographer. Um, and then I'm Jackie Von Prizing. I hope you can tell the difference in my voice, and I play Olivia. Sorry, I just realized I referred myself to my first person. I, I was going to point <laughs> that out. First last time. I won't do it again. <laughs> no, you should. You should totally refer to yourself in third person. Uh, and, and yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully Jackie, people will be able to tell your voice apart, um, unless you want to, you know, like start throwing some, some gruff gravel in there. And <laughs> I might impersonate Mark at a certain point in this. It just depends We're on often how confused. he's behaving. Yeah. Out in public, people often confuse their voices. It's very awkward. <laughs> well, I am so glad that y'all are here. Uh, and I, like I said, I really enjoyed American Meltdown. I caught it at Chattanooga Film Festival and, and it was so this was one of the movies that uh, during the week of CFF, there was a lot of buildup for it for me because Andrew, I met you at the boat party and mm-hmm. then it didn't screen until like four days later, I think. Um, yeah. And so like just that entire week was like, all right, I can't wait for this one. I, okay. There's so many movies I need to watch. Like, all right, wh- how, what am I going to do when, uh, when American Meltdown did get released virtually. I was like, oh, right, shit. I need to make sure to catch that one today. So, uh, so yeah, there was a lot of buildup. And thankfully, it lived up to the hype for me. And oh. and I had a blast with it. Oh, good. Um, but Mark, Jackie, were either of you able to actually be at CFF in person? Or did Andrew make the trip alone? He uh, made it himself. We weren't able to go to that one, unfortunately. He was so excited to be there, though. We got pictures from Andrew the whole time he was there. So it yeah. felt like we were with him a little. A lot of FOMO, a lot of, yeah. lot of whiskey, uh, apparently. Yeah, a ton consumed. of whiskey. Yeah, and probably a lot of drunken texts from me also. Um, <laughs> I did I did attend the virtual uh, premiere on the Discord uh, channel, though. Which was yeah, really cool. and I think for us it was interesting because we had our 
it was technically our world premiere and it happened virtually at the end of the fest. So there was um, some debate about like, I don't know, if we're not screening in person, do we go in person and all that? And I have to say that I'm very glad that I did because it was great. Um, yeah, I love Chattanooga now. Well, good, because that was actually going to be my first question. Uh, what did you think of Chat Film Fest? And Mark, since you were able to be there for the virtual side, uh, let, let's get your take on the virtual as well. But Andrew, since you were able to be there with your film screening virtually, because that's actually something that I was really curious about, because there were a lot of filmmakers there that had their film uh, screening both in person and virtually, some uh, that had their film only screening virtually. What was that experience like as a filmmaker with your film not being played in person yeah well so it was um it was strange i was nervous about it at first it wound up being very rewarding and i'm very happy we did we also had a kind of strange like scheduling thing work out where our cast and crew screening happened to be basically the day i got back from chattanooga so it all kind of lumped into one event for me so um i had this experience of like going and experiencing the fest and still getting to see an in-person screening anyway so that maybe kind of complicates the response, but Chattanooga was amazing. Um, I think my favorite part of it was that uh, they gave every filmmaker a bottle of whiskey when they got there, and most of us were broke and couldn't afford to check a bag, so we had to finish that bottle of whiskey while we were there. <laughs> and I think that's when you met me, Nathan, is uh, discovering that for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. what better way to meet someone, right? Yeah, it was great. You've got a very honest side of me, probably. Um, but yeah, it was great. And then I also sincerely like love the programming. Um, even though American Meltdown is not horror, I am a huge horror fan. Mark has shot a ton of horror movies. Like, There's a lot of love for that. And I know that CFF branched out and had so many different types of genres, but I can tell that there was this unifying thread through everything where the programmers were super passionate and loved things that were like fun and exciting and it felt like there was a true lack of pretension in the fest and that it just embraced the fun of filmmaking and i really kind of treasured that i met a ton of other filmmakers um saw great movies like tear sucker and sour party were big standouts for me so yeah. yeah i had an absolute blast made a ton of friends and then the virtual screening was really fun like uh mark can get into it too but we basically went over to our producer's house and we watched the movie while everybody chatted about it live on the discord and it was really fun to be able to like interact with everybody and provide live commentary so mark what was your take on that uh with, with doing some of that live commentary yeah it was um it was great i mean it was it actually felt really familiar because that was uh my good friends and i had already sort of gotten used to screening stuff that way during the pandemic mm -hmm. uh, as a way to help stay sane for especially most of us in entertainment industry people where there was no recourse to oh, I'll just work from home. It's like, well, it's not working. So uh, we watched a lot of films and had um, gotten used to actually using Discord uh, to sort of provide the commentary throughout. So it felt uh, kind of being right at home uh, but with a bunch of people who were very passionate about uh, what they were seeing and kind of uh, responding in, uh, in a positive way. It was, uh, yeah, it was, it was really nice. It was yeah. There were, it was also fun to try to chart like how much, what the audience's emotional reaction was based on like how active are they being in the Discord right now? Like, are they super invested in this scene? Like, there were stretches where people would just kind of stop talking and we did not take it personally. We were like, <laughs> yeah, there is. It's in. working. It's yeah. working. Um, so that was cool. 
Yeah, and I, I've uh, I've been on you know the, the the watching and commenting side uh, a lot, and it's always a weird mix because some movies I get so engrossed in that I'm like, oh right, I I, I guess I should check in with Discord and see what's going on over there, but I just I, I want to see what's in front of me. And other times I'm so engrossed in what's happening that I need to be talking about it right then. And so it really depends on the kind of film. Um, but yeah. but yeah, yeah. And well, what we what I found to be great about it was that I got the impression that um, everybody could kind of curate the experience how they wanted. Like there were several mm-hmm. people that I met at Chattanooga who reached out to me after the screening, and I wasn't even sure if they'd been watching because they had just kind of been silent. But afterwards, they used the Discord to send personal messages and be like, "Oh, that was so good," or whatever. So clearly, like, if you don't want to get distracted by the watch party, you don't have to be. But if it's something that is giving you joy, and then it's there. And so it was great to, like, have those options available. Yeah, I, I hate that I missed the watch party. I think that I ended up watching it, like, one in the morning, maybe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> as late as I possibly could, because, uh, yeah. again, trying to cram a ton of stuff in there. Um, well, I'm, I'm super glad to hear that y'all had a great time with the CFF experience, because I love 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 chattanooga film festival video monsters wouldn't exist were it not for cff and so i have you know a a very deep and personal connection uh with the festival and so you know it's it's not just like the let's do some cff promo like i have a legitimate interest in like did did you like it did you really like it and so anytime people like oh yeah it was great uh it it always makes me very legitimately happy Um, yeah i can't wait to go back next year like no matter what hopefully i can like somehow talk my way into being on the crew of something that submits but if not whatever i'll just show up just just make a short just to submit it yeah i, I would do that <laughs> yeah make, make make a cff exclusive <laughs> yeah i'll make like a logo or something i don't know i'll, <laughs> I'll find a way <laughs> well sure, it uh, takes place at cff exactly yeah, yeah yeah we'll do a live experience there we'll, just we'll shoot it two days before the festival yeah. say that you're doing <laughs> some uh, location scouting <laughs> yeah i love it <laughs> Well, hopefully all of you can make it next year uh, and and we can hang out in person. All right. So let's start talking about the film. Uh, since since American Meltdown is still on the festival circuit, obviously a lot of people are not going to have a chance to, to watch it yet. And I don't want to spoil the movie for people who haven't seen it, even though I don't really feel like this movie can be spoiled in the sense that like I, I feel like you can um, have fun and en- enjoy the movie even if you know everything that's going to happen, you know, it's not like the kind of movie where there's a huge reveal where you're like, what, you know, it's, it's the kind of movie where I think that the themes are driving a lot of what's going on. But that being said, I also think that the experience of, you know, going on that journey with Olivia, you know, with Jackie's character, I, I feel like that, um, I feel like it's a different experience if you're just told, oh, yeah, and then she does this. But if you're able to actually see what's going on and experience that uh, experience that with her, I do think that um, that it's a different kind of experience. And so I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't seen it yet. So we're going to start with uh, some more general ish spoiler free questions. And then once we get to the end of those uh, or once we're just kind of, you know, chomping at the bit to, to really dive into things a little bit more. I'll put up a spoiler wall and we can start digging into some more, uh, some more serious, not serious questions, some more uh, deeper analysis and, uh, and go into some spoilers. All right. So um, with that being said, for anyone who hasn't seen American Meltdown yet, what is your uh, sort of like a film fest lobby pitch? For the movie. So, you know, if you're at a film fest and and you're in the lobby and someone's like, oh, what should I check out next? What is that quick summary that you would tell them about why they need to see American Meltdown? 
uh, it's about a woman who can't pay rent, and then she befriends a pickpocket who convinces her to commit petty crime. But it's funny. It is funny. <laughs> yeah, that's the actual pitch that I give people in real life. Uh, Jackie, what about you? What would your uh, film fest lobby pitch be to try to get someone to to uh, check it out? Um, I mean, one of my favorite ways to describe it to people has been it's been one of the pitches that you've used a lot, Andrew, when you described it at, at other times. And it's come up a lot in um, what's been coming out about Meltdown. But I love calling it the millennial coming of rage tale. Like that <laughs> immediately gets people hooked. And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm angry, too. What you got for me? And then can kind of go into this girl is struggling and meet somebody who shows her, you know, how life can be if you just stop worrying about following the rules all the time, especially when the rules aren't really made for success. But I love millennial coming of rage. That's my that's my favorite one. <laughs> that is pretty great. I, I don't know if Jackie remembers this, but she actually like fed that phrase to me and then we started putting it in all of our oh. marketing. So <laughs> well, thank no you for the help, I Jackie. Like <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I love that phrase the most that yeah. you've been I using, Andrew. With it. So great. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Well cool. Love it. <laughs> well that explains why you love it so much then. Makes total sense. It works for us. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Uh, Mark, what about you? What would your uh film fest lobby pitch be? Um Wow. Um, yeah, just uh, a movie about very relatable problems for most everybody that I know. Especially yep. me, because I commit a lot of petty crimes <laughs> on a daily basis, all the time. So, uh, so you all <laughs> described it as, you know, a, a dark comedy, a coming of rage, and, and, and it is funny, and it does deal with some very serious themes. Um, how did you balance that because I, I do think that this movie does stay more on the lighter comedic side. Um, you know, I, I do think that the themes make it darker, but for me, it feels very much just like, you know, a fun hangout movie. Oh yeah. About this person whose world's falling apart, whatever. Um, but you know, like I, I feel like that relationship is driving the movie. So how did you decide on, on what the tone was going to be, you know, cause this very easily could have gone much darker. It could have been much more a coming of rage where there's a lot more destruction, you know, violence. It could have been a much more darker graphic movie, but I feel like it is fairly light, but at the same time, it's not so light that it diminishes the importance of the themes of the movie. So again, why on the lighter side and how did you strike that balance to where you didn't lose sight of what those themes were? Well, I can say that um, I'm really curious to hear what Jackie and Mark say about like how we crafted it in the moment on set. But there were, for me, two of the other big places were the writing and the post process. And the tone was one of the trickiest things to land on in this entire movie. And even on set, there were debates among people of like, what is this? What genre are we making? But I know that my first draft was written two months into COVID or so, and it was a very angry movie without many jokes. I don't think I've shared this draft with either, with anybody on this podcast, but it was uh, very angry. And eventually when I reread it, I was like, oh, there's a lot in this that I believe in, but it's like not fun. Nobody would want to sit through this. So I then kind of went through this whole process of deciding that in order to get across messages that I believed in, I had to make it as fun and entertaining as possible for the audience. And so uh, over the revision process, it just got increasingly funnier as I would add jokes, but try not to break the reality. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm really regretting now that we are never going to get the chance to see the falling down version of uh, of this movie <laughs> <laughs> with just a full meltdown, actual meltdown uh, sequence with Olivia just uh, wreaking havoc. Uh, yeah, there's time. I'm sure there's going to be lots of stuff that pisses me off in my life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think tone, tone. I mean, Andrew and I discussed that to pretty great lengths in the pre-production process. Um, but uh, and I'll mostly let Jackie speak to this. I think there was a lot of room on set based on kind of the performance uh, performances during rehearsals and stuff, where if we were feeling like a moment that was sort of Bordering on drama or comedy, it's feeling a little bit funnier or lighter. We sort of moved into it and um, you know, allowed allowed those guys you know, to you know, find find the funny moments and, and then we kind of pivoted around around those things. So it was you know we you know well well prepared for, but uh, you know still still uh, nimble enough to be able to you know, change the space on what was happening on site. Yeah, and going into it, Andrew and I and and Nicolette had worked a lot on the character development with both of these women and each of their individual journeys through the story. And when Andrew and I were discussing it, you know, we talked a lot about like comedy and realism and and things of that nature. And honestly, at the end of the day, it's like even when dark things are happening in life, there are still such moments of levity. And there are times when even the worst possible thing is happening to you. But if you look at it slightly differently, like sometimes it's legitimately funny. And even if, even if it's terrible, it's like, well, the way it happened is absurd. So, you know, I feel like keeping so much comedy and and a lot of light in it, even when Olivia is going through arguably the, the hardest time of her life, I think it makes it more realistic than it does if we would have just fully leaned into the rage of it all, especially because at her core, she was raised to follow the rules. And that's the whole that's Olivia's whole journey is following the rules. And in her mind, following the rules means doing it with a smile. And so allowing some of those moments where she's struggling with the rules and how she really feels and how she's supposed to feel for the world, even when no one's looking, um, that all just kind of stirred into her character development. But at her core, she is very light. Um, and yeah, so I think I think that that's part of why the comedy kind of bleeds through a little bit. It's just that's that's Olivia. I don't think she could get to a point where she goes on like wreaks too much havoc, you know, a little bit, <laughs> a little bit of havoc. Healthy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then um, to add two things to that, there was I remember early on. Uh, in casting, we decided to basically like treat this as a drama, but to cast funny people so that we could take every scene seriously, but then just let people's personalities like filter through all the jokes and bring a lot. And so that was really helpful. And then also in post, uh, me and the editor, Josh Cole, spent a lot of time working on tone. So our first pass at this, we embraced comedy hard and everything that made us laugh went into the cut. The music was very, very funky, like very funky. Mm-hmm. And we screened it and people liked it, but I, we could feel that like there was a little bit of a disconnect and they weren't as attached to the characters. They looked at them as like kind of cartoons. So then we did a second cut that was like the dark horror cut and we stripped all of the jokes out. Literally anything that we could cut out and still have the movie make sense, we lost. 
and then we replaced all of the music with like Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross drones. And we rewatched that one and it was miserable. Like it was no fun to watch at all, but you connected with the characters more. So then we did a third pass where we started putting jokes back in selectively and bringing funk back in in certain places, but not all of them. And I think by finding that blend, it took a long time, but I think that's how we wound up with this tone where like a lot of it's serious and you can take it seriously, but then it's punctuated by jokes constantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and big shout out to Josh Cole, who uh, can't be here today, but is for sure a major creative uh, contributor to the success of this movie. Yeah. So, uh, I, Jackie, I want to come back to you in just a second and your performance, but I want to uh, take a little bit off of, uh, not, not take a little bit off of, but um, go off of what Andrew was just talking about with, with, the, with the music and with some of that reality. Because the music absolutely sets so much of this tone. And, and, and I love the music throughout. I love how it starts with kind of like a, a very uh, sort of like classic noir, like, you know, very sexy sax uh, jazz playing. And and then you get, you know, some some lighter beats, uh, the, the scene with the the initial scene after the break in. It's very like drum heavy and that adds so much tension. And then towards the end, you know, we get a little bit more of that guitar riff. There's so much of this music that is driving the the tone of the movie, and I feel like it works. I feel like it really works in in a very balanced way to where it doesn't feel like the music at the beginning is totally out of place for what happens at the end. You know, at the beginning, I, I feel like a lot of it mirrors what Olivia is going through. You know, it has more of like that dreamlike, uh, dreamlike sort of idealistic state at the beginning, just like, oh, well, this is what classic Hollywood should be. This is what my life in L.A. should be like. And, uh, and, and, and yeah, I just feel like the music really does a great job of conveying that tone. So definitely huge props uh, to, to the music <laughs> because yeah. it, it did a lot. Uh, thank you. The, so our composer was Jason Martin Castillo. He's like, I was about to say a rock star and I meant it metaphorically, but I realized that could be confusing in this context. <laughs> um, but he's great. He's uh, also a professor of composing. He's a young guy. I think he's going to do amazing work in the future. I cannot wait. And yeah, that for us was a cool, really invigorating process. It involved a lot of discussion up front. And I sent him all of my favorite film scores and music. And yeah. a lot of it was like Marvin Gaye and D'Angelo and Sly and the Family Stone, plus Johnny Greenwood and <laughs> all of it, and the Ocean's Eleven soundtrack. Yeah, we listened so, to a lot of the Ocean's uh, soundtrack. A lot. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, while we were uh, in the previous. In yeah, it was uh, fun. Yeah, but so he like took all of those influences and then he also comes from like a classical background and has this like encyclopedic knowledge of every classical musician ever. So he started to use funk instrumentation the way that classical composers would score a movie. And it just turned into this like weird, cool fusion that I personally love. I think Jason crushed it. Yeah, I, I love the music throughout this movie. Uh, so a, a little bit with the tone and like you were saying, you know, you tried going really dark with it and it just didn't work. Uh, and, and Jack, you were talking a little bit about that as far as, you know, like even in darker situations, some lighter moments shine through and, and this movie is very relatable. And that's one of the things that I really loved about this movie. You know, like when I was watching it, I very easily could have seen it going a lot darker and I want to come back to that in a little bit. Um, but one of the things that I love so much about it is that it was so relatable. You know, if it had been a falling down esque movie or if it had been like God bless America, you know, like 
very unfortunately, there are people out there who do go that dark and who do commit horrible atrocities. But watching those movies for me, it's like, oh, well, this feels like an extreme that it's like a a satire really commenting on these issues. But no one's really going to do that parenthetically fuck i hate the fact that people really do that but like for me it's like i know that i'm never going to be violent like that watching american meltdown when when things would happen jackie's response was like oh (laughs) yeah i've I've been there i know exactly how you feel uh you know like putting the barcodes on uh on the groceries it's like hmm that is not something that i condone or that I might want to try now. So like it was, <laughs> it was so relatable and, and the characters, like I know these characters, you know, Olivia reminded me to a T of one of my friends, like even down to some of the facial expressions and like the quick little like head nods, like home, what type of stuff. It reminded me so much of one of my friends that it was like, okay, this feels so realistic because I know that person. And, um, uh, Mari's character, also reminds me a lot of people that I know some of them I'm good friends with some people. I absolutely let's just say that they are fun at the first 10 minutes of a party, but really annoying an hour into it when they just won't shut up about whatever. And so like these characters feel so genuine and, and realistic. And to me, that is what gave this movie so much heart. And again, like balancing that tone of, of comedy and, and weighty themes, uh, I, I want to start with, with Jackie on this one and then kind of loop back around. Jackie, how did you approach this role and, and playing this character? Um, you know, like, were you drawing off of any real experiences? Were you looking at just kind of like, oh, this is unfortunately very universal experiences? Because, uh, again, it felt so natural and it felt so realistic and and uh you and uh and mari like those those two characters absolutely are the core and the heart of this movie in a way that totally works so again huge props to you uh but also how did you approach the role oh well thank you um i think it so much of it goes to just speak for how wonderful andrew is at writing because The first time I read this script, when he first sort of approached me about auditioning for it, like within the first 10 pages, I was like, I love Olivia. I get her in a way that makes me uncomfortable. Um, And yeah, I just I knew from the start that I wanted to do it. Um, And so, you know, he and I, Andrew and I had had a lot of conversations about what brought him to write this. And I'll let him get more into his personal journey with the script. But I definitely drew from what I know about Andrew because I've known him for <laughs> since we were in college. So I've known him for a long time. So I thought a lot about how I pictured him responding to the instances that happened in the script that I knew took place in his real life. And then there were so many parts because, like you said, she's she's so realistic um, and she's so relatable that there were a lot of parts that I was like, I mean, I've been through that. I've also been given a bill from the government for a business that I don't. I don't have. Um, you know, it's always fun. I too have dated men who are less than and than empathetic, um, and so there were a lot of those moments where I was like, "Yeah, no, I get this to a T." And then it was all about it was just about fitting in what I know of Andrew and what I know of Andrew's writing to really bring her to life and. 
um, yeah, it just, she, it just all just sort of took on a life of its own once, once Andrew and I realized what he sort of wanted from her. Um, I think there was one discussion where we sort of talked a little bit, like you had referenced lately, I think Alexis from Schitt's Creek mm-hmm. and you're like, not exactly, but a, <laughs> I want a little bit of Alexis in there, you know? Who doesn't want a little bit of a lesson? Yeah, right. And so there were definitely these things that I pulled from to bring it in because, you know, when somebody's going through so, all of that, there it could be really easy to take it to us, you know, you still want them to be really likable and to be relatable. And so adding in, we work to add in these little quirks of hers, like, you know, the facial expressions, which some of it just, just come naturally to my face, but <laughs> some of it was definitely a little bit more planned and strategic. And, um, he let us have fun with it. And that I think was really important to me in finding out who she was and how to make her relatable. Yeah. And from what I remember of the process too, like the, I've known Jackie for a long time. I think she's incredibly talented and like she was at the top of the list of people I would want to work with. But when we first started working on this, we, it just took us a couple sessions together to find the tone of Olivia. And I remember at first we were playing it very dramatically and just like things weren't quite clicking and we were looking for what. And I didn't remember there was a day specifically where Jackie like started to embrace the more comic sides of Olivia. And like from then on, it was just like, okay, we're off to the races. There was very little that I had to do in terms of like big picture mapping out of that character. Like she just had a great take on it. So at that point for me, it was just about getting in like moment to moment and being like, cool, is this working here in this scene or in that scene? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, uh, tell me a little bit more about um, what Jackie started talking about as far as what your writing process was and how you pulled from some of your own experiences, because you said um, that you started writing it at the start of COVID but this doesn't seem like it's just not just it does not feel like a covid story it does not feel like the kind of movies that uh, that we got like right after covid hit where everything was disease and isolation you know this feels um well it, it it feels much like the movie that it is 3 years into covid where you're looking more at loneliness not necessarily isolation and you're looking at why are the American systems so fucked up? And you're looking at just all of these bigger issues that have nothing to do with COVID, but that all got revealed by, you know, everyone having to be home and, you know, everyone working remotely. And it's like, why do I have to go back to the office? So, you know, I, I, I really, I love the fact that this is not a early COVID movie and it's a, all right, these are the themes that have come out because of what COVID did to all of society. But, but yeah, what are some of those experiences that fed into what the story is? Yeah, um, there's a lot. And I don't know how much time we have. So, but, uh, but <laughs> Share as much as what you feel like sharing. Uh, even though my background is uh, psychology, let's not turn this into a full therapy session. We could. I mean, the movie in some ways is a therapy session. Oh, it's for me. a little bit. Um, yeah. So I was, I, I've wanted to make movies for like a long, long time. And I had been writing other scripts trying to crack it. And ultimately, I would usually like incorporate some sort of genre element that made it very expensive. And when the pandemic started, one of my, you know, like we were all looking for something to do. And I think I buried myself in the act of creation to try to like, yeah, honestly, it sounds dark, but like to give myself purpose in that time and to like have something to do at the end of when I, you know, got off Zoom. Um, 
And I had learned from some more expensive scripts that I'd never figured out how to raise money for that I had to write more cheaply. And I didn't, I was scared, I, like knowing that I couldn't lean on a whole bunch of genre elements because I like couldn't afford the werewolf costume or whatever. I decided to instead go as personal as possible. Mm -hmm. So I just made a list of essentially like everything that had happened in my life that felt like it could be ripe dramatic material for a movie. And um, one of the ones that stood out was uh, I've personally been broken into five times and it was too much. (laughs) And after that, I would like develop PTSD. I think in retrospect, that's what it was because like it was all the symptoms of just like being so quick to anxiety and not trusting anything in my house. And it was interesting because like anytime I would then move out of the places that had been broken into the day I left that space, it would be clear. Yeah. Like I would never have those symptoms again. So I don't know if that was actually PTSD, but I don't know. It, that's where a lot of this came from. So I started writing, looking through that lens. But then because of COVID, I had just lost a dream job and I didn't know what I was going to do about rent. I was looking at unemployment. I was frustrated. So all those anxieties started to filter in. Then I was like, I... I don't know, that was a very political summer and I was getting very engaged with politics like during the protests and everything. And so like every day I was just like spinning my wheels thinking like, how did we wind up in this situation? And so what started out as like trying to be a very personal look at what it's like to go through break-ins started to become this much more like politically overt thing. Mm -hmm. And then um, also to keep it personal, most, a lot of details from this are pulled from my life. So like, I used to do travel videography and I worked out of a van for a little while. So some of Mari's experiences I had to do. There was a time when I was so broke while traveling that I did steal some candy bars because I was like, I'm hungry. <laughs> this shouldn't, I didn't just need food. And so a lot of personal experiences went into this script and then also some wish fulfillment with like some of the stuff that we'll discuss in the spoiler section. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so with some of those personal experiences and, and like you said, um, especially after the break-ins where you would have some of that PTSD, I, first off, I just really quickly, I love that in one of the scenes, uh, Olivia has a whisk in her bed. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The tools that she uses to protect herself are my favorite. Part. Were those yeah. just stuff that was just stuff from the kitchen, right? Or did you bring all that? I, can't I think I actually brought a whisk. <laughs> so that was premeditated. Yeah. 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 Premeditated whisking. Uh, yeah. There might've been a moment where I was like, and then she walks down the hall with a whisk in her hand or something. I don't know. Well, we That's- tried a couple of takes where you took the whisk out. Cause you were like, this is the whisk is too much. We no, no, the whisk wound up being just enough. The, yeah. the whisk probably was a good perfect. time to mention. Uh, Andrew also served as the film's production designer. Yes. Uh, and throughout the and art and art director and set dresser. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. uh, throughout the throughout the shooting of the film and the months preceding it, as well as the months afterwards, his department was uh, almost of just a Amazon warehouse uh, <laughs> of boxes. Some getting returned, some not. Nah. Props, wardrobe. Um, I don't know if, if, if it's uh, yeah. images of the Last Crusade warehouse uh, come to mind. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's just and stacked with stuff. I'll tell you what we did with some of those props, again, in the spoiler section. Sure. <laughs> That's where it really pops off. Yeah. <laughs> well, we will get there soon because there's a lot of things that I really want to dig into. Uh, but there, there's a few more things that I want to touch on first. Uh, but while we're still on the whisk, 
the reason that the whisk is perfect and it was not too much is I could very, very easily picture someone. And, and I know people like this because of, uh, because of that anxiety of having the house broken into and hearing those creaks and, and just like that anxiety, keeping, uh, keeping Olivia awake all night. She starts out with just the knife. And then when you get the, uh, the match cut to, you know, uh, the next morning when she clearly hasn't slept, just every single time she hears a noise, like I obviously filling this in my brain, I was like, okay, every time she heard a noise, she goes to the kitchen, she gets something else. She ran out of things. She gets a whisk, but she's not going to leave it there because why would you leave a potential weapon? She's going to keep that whisk because if all else fail, if all else fails, she'll at least have that whisk. So no, to me, it was perfect yeah. because it, it was just, yeah, go yeah ahead. we didn't think that was a joke. We thought that was hard cutting drama. So. <laughs> <laughs> it, <laughs> it, it's just silly enough that it made me chuckle, but it's also like, yeah, no, I can totally see a person doing exactly that. Um, so with, uh, with some of those scenes and with some of, uh, like that, that creaking that she hears after, uh, after house is broken into, you know, like in, anytime, uh, you in, encounter something that shifts your perception, there's going to be that like, Oh, wait a second. Has the house always creaked like that? What's that noise? What's going on? And uh, Mark, this question is specifically for you. During those scenes, they are shot like a horror movie. When she is looking down the hallway and there's like that very slow zoom in, it's like, okay, I'm ready for something to jump out. When she opens the medicine cabinet and it's closing, it's like, I'm ready for something to be behind her. Like there are a few scenes that just the way that they are shot really feeds into the anxiety. And there's some other it. scenes. I love that you, you flagged the medicine cabinet shot specifically <laughs> because that, that one really was like our favorite in, in the, and it wasn't something that we uh, had necessarily uh, prepped for specifically, but when we, because we didn't really, you know, we scouted the location so late into the process and, and didn't really lock it until very close to shooting. And uh, although I guess we did, we did map it out in Cinefraser, so we, we had a pretty good idea of the layout, but we, that, that specific beat what didn't really evolve until we were shooting it. And uh, it was really, it was like, oh yeah, this is the me. <laughs> like, <laughs> everybody's waiting for somebody to be standing in the mirror when she closes it. And right. that's something that I think, uh, I've, I've thought every time I see that scene, it's like one of my favorite things. <laughs> yeah, in our first test screenings, a lot of people saw the first act and around minute 20 thought it was a pure horror movie. <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I could see that because, uh, again, like a lot of the cinematography gives you some of those horror vibes, um, but not so heavy that it feels like it's being misleading. It is. Yeah. Uh, that, and that was, that was something that we, we, that part of it, we did. Intend. Yeah. We really, we really wanted to lean into, uh, depicting the house in the most alienating way possible. Um, really to, to help guide viewers into, uh, Olivia's experience and, you know, the best way to kind of visually depict that is to like make the place that you live feel scary. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, we, we very much so uh, set out to try and create the creepiest version of, you know, (laughs) her experience uh, in Canada, Mm -hmm. Uh, but keep it dark and the slow kind of uh, anticipatory moves. Uh, You know, it's, it's the internet, uh, from the, the horror toolbox a lot for that stuff. 
Yeah, I remember we talked a lot about in order to make this house feel terrible, like the um, the lights and the camera movement and the lensing and everything inside the house was going to feel like a horror movie. And whenever she goes outside, it's big and open. Like she leaves the house and there's freedom and she comes back and she's confined and claustrophobic again. Mm. Well, and that's something else that that I noticed along with the like very open shots, you know, a, a lot of the, you know, center frame with just a lot of open space around Olivia. There are a lot of shots not from Olivia's perspective, but behind Olivia. And I'm very curious what the, um, what the inspiration or what the intention with those shots were, because again, there's, there's a lot of them. It doesn't feel like it's just a, Oh, that looks kind of cool. It feels like there is something else. Maybe it's, it's, well, I, I have a take on it, but I want to hear uh, <laughs> what y'all have to say first, and, and then I'll give uh, what my take on, on those specific shots was. Uh, first of all, I just, I just, uh, I'm loving this. <laughs> what, a cool, what a cool insight. Um, yeah, no, I mean, we, yeah, we, you know, a lot of the, the intention there was to almost, we wanted there to be some doubts as to, whether or not like was this is there somebody in the house is is there somebody standing behind her is there somebody watching and uh you know obviously the best way to do that is is to to literally you know adopt a lot of very classic horror camera positions and you know really make the viewer feel like at any moment somebody could spring out Mm -hmm. uh because that's that is the the mindset of the character of course um yeah, well, it's funny because as I'm thinking about this, I'm running through a list of shots in my brain, and I can I know yeah, so many too. shots me that too. you're talking about. I'm like, oh, that one's better. Oh, that one's better. Oh, that one. Yeah, that one. That one. And uh, to be honest, a lot of my favorite shots of the movie are like they're behind her. They're she's still. It's pushing yeah. in on her. And I am now. I'm. I will say this. I'm not positive that I have the best analysis of why we did that. But one of the things I think is most thrilling about the creative process is the way that it eventually goes out of the creator's hands and gets interpreted by psychoanalysts or whatever. Like this is thrilling to me. So I cannot wait to hear the breakdown. Well, before I give my breakdown, uh, Jackie, what about you? I know with you being in front of the camera, not behind it. um, How did you, I, I hate asking the question, how did you approach the role but you know what? Sometimes that's the only way that I can think of, of how to start it. But uh, what was it like being in front of the camera with your back to the camera for as many scenes as there were? And it's not like the entire movie was shot behind you. But, you know, there's the beach under the pier. There's the beach uh, in front of the fireplace. There's uh, the beach or the, the scene walking you when you're walking up to Tamari's uh, van. So there's a lot of scenes where they're looking at the back of you rather than the front of you. So, uh, again, I hate asking, how did you approach that scene? But how did you approach the scenes <laughs> where they were filming uh, the back of your head rather than your face? I mean, I trust that they know what they want to film. <laughs> I, do, I feel fine that it's not 100% my face all the time. But also, you know, anytime they were doing those shots, I think I tried to just focus on like in those moments, it does she feel like she's being watched? How should my shoulder, you know, is this a moment for like tense up shoulders and like just an overall vibe of, you know, being maybe a little more nervous or 
Is this march up to this van in the middle of the desert? Is this a little more freeing? So a lot of it was just how tense is she in this moment? Does this feel like, oh, someone could have their eyes on me at any time? I'm not safe, which for most of what was in the house, I think was how we all knew to approach that. Because like Andrew said, inside the house was always supposed to be more tense. And outside, especially any moment by the ocean or anything that was really, you know, really, really away from the people. Um, Those moments I felt like could be a little freer and how she walks and how she talks as she's approaching the van. Even if it wasn't on my face, there was a lot more than on how I was holding my body in it. Mm -hmm. And they did such a wonderful job of explaining to me what the shot was before going in and what the vibe of that moment was going to be and the tension of it that, you know, it was just, okay, great. Let's go for it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, so my take on it is not entirely uh, that far from Marks, but also very different in in um, in its core tone. In the sense that, like in those scenes, I felt like I, I felt like it was a very intentional, like observational point of view. You know, because like a lot of movies, you know, when you have the uh, shot reverse shot where you're like you're looking at what people are doing, it 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 doesn't feel like you're a part of the scene because you're just kind of like there with that God's eye view of what's happening. Anytime that you have the, the POV shot, obviously it's a very intentional. We want the audience to experience what the character is experiencing. All of the scenes that were shot behind Olivia and I'm going to go back and forth between Olivia and Jackie. uh, So I, I apologize for that. But all of the I, scenes, I think we all did. We all yeah. did that <laughs> absolutely every day, every day of the shoot. Yeah, and then Jackie might even does sometimes do it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I respond. To both. Yeah. <laughs> so all of the scenes, uh, but behind Olivia, to me felt like not quite. There could be someone behind her, but more of a. This is almost looking at the world from Olivia's perspective almost because it's still removed. Like you're look, you're seeing what she is seeing, but with something in the way. And so for me, those scenes were very connected, but also very detached. So like when she was looking into the fireplace, there was something so warm about that. And not just because of the fire, but there was something that was connected of just, you know, I could picture myself sitting in front of the fireplace and I could see myself, you know, just, just sitting there chilling. And, and so I could connect with it, but because it's shot from behind, you don't know what she is doing. You don't know what she's looking at. You don't know what's in front of her. And so there was a lot of that sort of connection and, and disconnection that in a way I felt like really, um, really helped this movie because again, it, it was so relatable that during those scenes I was putting myself in that situation, but there was still, uh, still that little bit of like, but, but what is she doing? What, what, what is she looking at? And so like any time that she turns around, it's almost like, Hey, I'm watching you. Like I see that you are seeing me. And um, yeah, that that's my take on those scenes. I love that. I love that. Well, I'm just curious, Mark, do you have a favorite shot in the movie? Um, yeah, well, the fireplace one is definitely, is one of them. Yeah. I mean, that certainly okay. is. Yeah. During our, first cast and crew screening he specifically leaned over during the fireplace scene and it's like this is my favorite shot <laughs> <laughs> well that and the pier both uh yeah. yeah we really liked those like very wide 
center frame confrontational uh, uh, shots and we recycled them a few times. Yeah, um, it's interesting because I think we were like intuitively drawn to those shots. They and a lot of them are some of my favorite shots in the movie. And so it's interesting mm-hmm. to like start to piece together the effect that they're having. And I will say, if we're ever lucky enough to be making more projects together and you start seeing shots with people center framed from behind, you'll know exactly why they're in there. (laughs) (laughs) You're trying to detach the audience. Awesome. Yes. (laughs) Um, So, all right. I want to get into spoilers soon, but there's one other question that I feel like we need to talk about before we get to spoilers, because I feel like it's something that everyone needs to hear. Uh, and then there's something else that I think we could probably address spoiler-ish free. And then that can be the question that then leads into the spoilers because uh, because of how it connects to the end. So first the thing that everyone I feel like needs to hear with the themes of this movie and the inciting incident of, um, you know, you, you have to not work here for three months because we don't want to pay you benefits. It is impossible to watch this movie now and not relate it to the uh, the writing and actor strike. And obviously, that wasn't going on when you were writing the movie. Obviously, it wasn't going on when you were creating the movie. But those elements, it, it's impossible to not connect those two in terms of like, oh, you're one of the best people we have, which is why you need to not work here for three months so that you can get a different job so we don't have to pay benefits. And, and there's just so... You know, I'm I'm not a writer. I'm not an actor. I'm not as connected to everything that's going on. But obviously, I have not only a deep and an abiding love of movies, but I also give a fuck about humanity and other people and just a basic empathy of people need to be treated better. And 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 it were it not for the fact that I just know the timeline of this movie was made before the strike. This movie feels like it is made for the strike in terms of, um, you know, like the, the someone's house being broken into and just like, have you ever had your house broken into? It sucks. And how all these characters that have not had the specific thing happen to them are completely devoid of empathy. Like, you know, the, the, the characters that have not been through it, it's not their problem. But the characters who have experienced it, there's starting to be that awareness of, oh, this sucked for me. This probably also sucks for this other person. And and when you get to know a little bit more about Mari's story, and you're like, oh, wow, she's got a really, really in-depth background that you have no idea about when you first meet her. And, and knowing more about her drastically changes your perception of who she is. And I feel like that's something that is so lacking in so many people. And again, especially um, the people who are denying the uh, the request from the writing and actors guilds. So I, I just wanted um, in as much as you feel like talking about it, if you're like uh, for, for our own benefit, we can't say too much. I totally understand. But in as much as you feel like talking about those comparisons of what is unfortunately going on in the real world and how it connects to, uh, to some of those themes of American meltdown. Yeah. Well, um, I'm, I don't want to speak for anybody, but I will kick it off by saying just for context, this was a non-union movie that is also very pro-union and like it's a very pro-labor crew. But um, for various reasons, a lot of us are still like kind of, you know, early in our careers and maybe haven't accrued the credits to get into the union. Mm. Despite that, we I personally support them and I'm very um, yeah, I support what is happening with the strike. Uh, There's a lot that 
pisses me off about a lot of these bigger corporations and CEOs and like all of the work conditions that they've created. I think that a lot of this project's like creative inspiration came out of the same work conditions that inspired other people to strike. But it's coming from like a lot of that same impulse of just being like, I am doing everything I can to make a living out here and I'm still struggling. So clearly like that something is just not clicking. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy to get deeper into it, but I'm curious what these two might think. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm at a point where I, the next thing I, I like, I have to join the union next. Like that's a, just a real part of it. Um, so, and that's like before, yeah, before I can do any more union projects, like I would have to, and I work generally on the business side of it a lot. So I'm very at this point aware of the rates that actors are offered. And I think what's interesting and a parallel between what's going on now and what happens in the movie is that Olivia is told in the movie throughout that she, you know, by people outside of Mari and, and herself, that she just needs, it's not their fault. It's not up to them. Your problems aren't our problems. And that's just the way that it is. And at the end of the day, though, what's so interesting is when is everybody performs such an integral part of it, right? Like it's very easy for people who aren't in the industry to say, oh, actors or writers just need to quit whining. We know you guys make millions and that's just simply not the case. But also then the other reaction is, well, just go find something else you love. Like Olivia should just go find another job to do for three months until she comes back without benefits. And writers and actors, you're not happy with what we're giving you. Go find something else that you love. But in the real world right now, it's like, well, what got you through the pandemic? It was what those writers and actors and directors and everybody created. So it is something that's very necessary. And it's not, you should, no matter what you want to do, you should be paid appropriately. You should be taken care of while you do it. And you shouldn't have to have two to three jobs ever to survive or to take care of yourself or your family. And it is an interesting time for it all that them we're pushing the movie now because like you said all of those themes run throughout and it's something that very much a lot of people um can relate to right now at this moment but it's just a matter of having compassion and think about what would happen how would you feel if you were in your job and suddenly the world was ripped out from under you and you were told that you're no longer going to be able to make a living wage because we've decided you shouldn't yeah. be allowed to um, yeah, I am. I am union. I've been a member of IASI for over 10 years. Um, I say a lot, I say a lot about this topic. Uh, you know, I think part of what makes the movie so relatable, uh, and what makes, you know, the, is that, is that it's, everybody can identify with it because it's an American problem, you know, and, and what's happening with our labor movements, not even just in entertainment, but I mean, not even turn on the radio, you hear about UPS, Starbucks, Amazon. Uh, you have um, a profit-driven uh, corporate mindset that is uh, devaluing workers and uh, placing all value on uh, share shareholder profits, you know? And that's, that's essentially, uh, you know, I, I think it's an evolution of hate to, hate to go to play stage capitalism and, <laughs> and just really take this conversation in a direction. But it, it's it is a massive uh, problem that many people face in terms of just uh, the, the value of, of 
having a middle-class income being stripped away uh, in favor of um, creating a better profit margin, uh, you know, at any cost. And so, uh, you know, we're, you know, and of course, how could we have known just a few years ago that AI would become such a big part of this conversation? Um, and, and that to me is the most important thing that's being discussed uh, with these talks and um, it's something that, uh, you know, I, I hope everybody's, uh, you know, going to take it to the wall because, you know, that's, that is an existential, these are all existential problems. And that's, mm -hmm. that's the one thing that, that I think has been covered the most in a lot of reporting is that people are not going to be able to put food on their table, keep a, a roof over their heads, uh, unless certain demands are being met. IATSE negotiated their contract a few years ago. So we're not, we don't have a dog necessarily in this fight, but we will, uh, because our contract will be up for negotiation again, uh, soon enough. And, and the, um, standard that's set by SAG and, and uh, the writers will help uh, be the new high watermark for how we are meant to continue to exist uh, in a place in, in an industry that is continually trying to squash us. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yep. No, there's there is a reason that I asked this question. First off, uh, hopefully before we lost everyone, because I do think that it's important. Everyone needs to hear about it. But also before I asked another question to transition out of it so that the uh, the rest of the episode didn't just turn it into a uh, uh, union discussion. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> socialist uh, discussion hour. Half your listeners just clicked off. <laughs> like, he says late stage capitalism. We're out. We're done. <laughs> Dude, if if they listen to this podcast, they are all, you know, getting, getting their picket signs ready. So don't worry yeah. about that. Uh, I, I, I do want to um, I do want to say something in relation to Jackie what you were saying as far as you know people think that oh well, all these actors are making millions of dollars etc cetera, etc cetera. you know I was thinking along ish those lines when I was watching American Meltdown of like part of this movie and and I hope that none of you take offense to this I, I will I <laughs> stay with me I will explain things part of this movie does feel very like first world problemsy you know like uh, Olivia's house is fucking huge huge i have no idea how big that is but like even just the living in and uh and kitchen area it's like oh my god that is that is that is not a small place and like the, some of the things that she's going through it's like oh she's only three thousand dollars in debt that's not that bad like there are some things about it that did feel a little bit like all right is she taking this out of proportion but and this is why i was like stick with me but that doesn't matter because that is still an issue that she is dealing with and you know here's where some of my counseling background comes into play everyone's issues are their issues just because someone else has it far worse does not minimize what someone else is going through and so you know obviously obviously you know olivia wasn't being sexually assaulted she wasn't uh being murdered like there's so many worse things that could have been going on but that does not diminish at all the things that she is going through. And, and again, like that for me is part of why this movie is so relatable in the same way that if her response had gone more of that falling down, um, you know, uh, uh, God bless America style reaction, that would have, it wouldn't have taken me out of enjoying the movie, but have been like, okay, well I can't relate to what this person is doing in the same way, you know, like some of those atrocities, very thankfully, I've not been through. And so even though I can empathize with them, 
there might be things that I can't relate to. And, and so by having this be a little bit more of just like, yeah, you lost your job, you got broken into, but you know, you're, you're fine. You still have your health. You got your friends. You'll have a job in a few months. You're fine. What are you complaining about? Like that's so relatable. I feel like to so many people and, and Mark, like you said, it's kind of like that middle-class working class problem where it's like, that is still a huge problem. And like, you know, all of these other issues where people start complaining about like, oh, well, you know, if, if these people would stop complaining about this and if these people could stop complaining about this, it's like, okay, everyone's losing sight of the fact that if people who can afford two houses stopped having two, maybe things would be better for everyone. And, and so like, it's that division of here, let me get everyone mad at each other so that no one's actually mad at the people who are really causing some of these issues. And, and that for me is, is part of what, uh, again, I really appreciated about American meltdown. Not only were the issues so relatable, but it even gave me a little bit of a check of like, Hey, maybe don't complain about the fact that this character is paying Thirty eight hundred in rent. Fuck. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah. Be, because, market prices. Exactly. That's also, all of us. Oh, yeah, and also <laughs> that that check was supposed to be torn off very quickly. You uh, you really scanned that. <laughs> be, but it was like there is a different cost of living, and regardless of cost of living, that was Olivia's life, and so it doesn't matter that maybe her life was a lot better off than a lot of other people in the world. Her life was falling apart. And, and for me again, like this movie so easily could have gone so dark because what started in this movie could have been the start of a very dark path for Olivia. You know, like, yeah, she had a good job. She had a good house. She was living a good life. And this movie highlights how easily and how simply one minor thing can throw all of that into turmoil, how, you know, very quickly were it not for some of the things that take place over the course of this movie, Olivia could have been homeless and, uh, in, in being homeless, you know, there's a lot of other terrible things that could have happened. And so, uh, so yeah, I, I appreciate the fact that this movie does kind of show the start of those issues, because I think that a lot of times people look at like, Oh, well that's just a privileged problem. Okay. Drop privileged. That is a problem have basic empathy for other people. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I wanted to say that uh, because I, yeah, I feel it's, like more it's people the need horror of, um, you know, and, and Andrew and I've talked about this a lot recently, but it's sort of the horror, the horror element is the horror of buying into a system that, that you've been sold uh, from your earliest memories that, that either doesn't exist anymore uh, or doesn't care about you or both. Yeah. Uh, and that, that is, um, you know, I mean, we being pushed on a path or set on a set of, you know, put, put on a, on a rail to indebting yourself, accruing odd material wealth, whatever, whatever it is, because that's, that is the path that was set before us by you know, the, the generations that preceded, you know, it's the horror of realizing that like, oh yeah, the system no longer works for any of us yeah. really anymore. And now I'm trapped in it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, yes, very much, very much agreeing <laughs> with uh, with your, your insight there. 
Well, and, and yeah. there are two lines, uh, and this is the last I'll say about this. I don't feel like it's too spoilery because, again, it, it really feeds into the theme. Um, but two of the lines really that... really building up this, this spoiler section. Yeah, well, it's a uh, wild well, things are coming uh, next. I'm going to have to open another drink because, uh, again, I'm not, I don't know if I'm ready. Hope, hopefully, when we get into that, hopefully it won't be a letdown. Um, <laughs> but the two, two of the lines that Olivia says, and I wrote them down, but now I'm trying to uh, scroll back so that I can find them. Um, one of them was about, uh, why would they charge someone more money for not having any money? And, um, the, why would you raise rent on someone who is struggling to pay rent? And again, those two lines, which I don't feel like that is too spoilery. Like that's part of the problem. And, and again, how easily someone who is middle or even upper class can very quickly, turn into lower class or broke or, or homeless. Uh, and, and, you know, some of the other issues that uh, Olivia's character uh, encounters over the course of her life that we just get snippets of in, in conversation, but it's just like, okay, those things are the things that so many people deal with. And that bullshit of pull yourself up by your bootstraps. No, this is someone who was doing well and how quickly their life can be thrown into turmoil. So someone who is struggling to say, oh, well, if they would just, you know, stop drinking and get a job, if they would just stop doing drugs, if they would stop, it's like, motherfucker, you're part of the problem keeping the people down. Okay, anyways, <clears throat> I'm getting on my Whoa. soapbox. I need to get off of there. <laughs> no, I mean, that, that, that's what this movie is all about. Um, I'll say also that a lot of the specifics that you're calling out, like the tickets doubling in price and everything, those are cool. I just have lived through that. I'm sure a lot of people have, but I had a long stretch of unemployment in 2016. as like some job opportunities ended and new ones were going. There was a lot of what I discovered was called precarity of like living on the edge, not knowing where the next paycheck's coming from, or are you going to make it? And yeah, I remember getting a parking ticket that I couldn't pay. And then it doubled and it almost broke me. I felt like yeah. of all of the actual like things that might trigger a meltdown, weirdly, that was like one of the most painful things that had ever happened to me. Yeah, because then if you can't pay, they take you to court. And if you can't pay yeah, lawyer's yeah. fees, they put you in jail. And then if who hasn't wanted to burn down the DMV at some point? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, may, maybe that is the, the thing that unites us all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, all right. Let's go ahead and start diving into spoilers. So th- this is kind of a question that I feel, well, first off, spoilers, 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 spoilers. If you've not yet seen American Meltdown, the questions that I'm going to be asking from here on out might or might not deal with stuff that happens at the end. So if you do not want to know the things that happen at the end of this movie, go watch American Meltdown uh, at whatever film fest it is playing at near you or keep an eye on just watched and and hopefully it'll pop up there one day with where you can watch it um but i definitely definitely recommend checking it out it's a great movie i had a lot of fun with it obviously even in just talking about these general uh non-spoilery questions we dealt with a lot of uh, a lot of heavy themes i'm gonna be digging into those a little bit more so if what we've been talking about so far has piqued your interest definitely check out american meltdown and before you leave us, in case you are turning the, the episode off to not get into spoilers, uh, Andrew, where can they stay up to date on, on news about uh, American Meltdown? We'll, we'll do like the full uh, social media and, and all that stuff at the end. But just in case someone's like, yeah, let, let me watch it before we get in the rest of this. Where can they stay up to date on updates? 
Yeah, so um, we are hoping to figure out distribution soon, and we will surely let everybody know online. We do not have like an official movie handle or anything, so the best way to stay in touch with any of this is to follow the individual creators on Instagram, typically. Um, I think that's where most of us hang out most often. Um, I personally am at Wander Adams, W-A-N-D-E-R-A-D-A-M-S. And Jackie, what about you? Um. Sorry, I just realized what Jackie was going to have to say out my, loud. <laughs> my Instagram is Sergeant Underpants. That's <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and then Underpants is spelled exactly how you think it is. The blatant lack of professionalism. It's like the stereotypical example of. When when kids get into college and it's like, all right, make sure that you get a professional email <laughs> because you don't have to tell people that your email is searchandunderpants at yahoo.com. It's honestly never come up where I've had to say it publicly before. So that's yep. yep. There it is. Well, you're stuck with it now. I listen, now it's at my core, I love it. And yeah, it's it. it is it it's does horrible. feel different to say it. <laughs> well, I'm going to look uh, it up and add it right now. <laughs> Mark, oh my God. What about you? <laughs> oh, am I meant to say mine? Yeah, what's yours? Oh, sorry. It is I'm only on Instagram, Mark Evans DP at Mark Evans DP. Absolutely smash that follow button, everybody. Woo! Like and subscribe. Pew, 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 like and subscribe. <laughs> Nobody cares. <laughs> Nobody cares about that. <laughs> but that is where it is. And I'll put I'll put I'll be putting up some fun at some point, uh side by sides from um the previous process that Andrew and I went through uh in the creation of this film. Yeah. We have some like uh, wild digital recreations of these shots or pre creations, I guess. Pre creations, yeah. yeah. Uh, so you, you can find them there. When, uh, at such a time as they are ready to be published. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to that. And uh, Mark, I just followed you, and Sergeant Underpants, I just followed you as well. Slowly <laughs> That's honestly the whole reason we did this. Yeah, we just all wanted one follower. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, mission accomplished <clears throat> um so so yeah be sure to follow <laughs> sorry smash it yeah should we follow oh god mm, so good okay be sure to follow uh mark jackie and andrew on instagram to stay up to date on updates about american meltdown all right so if you have already seen this movie or if you just don't care about spoilers because some people don't care that much about spoilers. Sometimes I'm one of those people. Then stick around because we're going to be digging into things a little bit deeper uh, or at the very least talk about stuff that happens at the end of the movie. All right. So this question I feel like is a good sort of transition question in case someone's like, are they, are they really going to talk about the end of the movie? Yes. Yes, we are. I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, some of the, the, the color theory in this movie, especially the wardrobe of Mari and uh, Olivia. Because Olivia is wearing very bright colors, uh, often she's wearing yellow, and Mari tends to wear a lot of very dark, you know, navy or, or black colors. And there's two scenes in particular that I feel like this is especially relevant. And I guess it's more of just like an, an overarching uh, connection between these two. 
but you know, like yellow, it's it's much more sunny. It's much more optimistic. Um, you know, black and and the darker navy. It's a little bit more pessimistic view. And so I feel like those colors not only connect to who those characters are, and and their different uh, worldviews, but I love love after a scene that has. Uh, I, I think it was the yeah it was after the scene where Mari and Olivia first meet, and then it cuts to Olivia in the police station. And going from that very bright yellow outfit that she's wearing, now she's wearing a black dress with yellow flowers. And so immediately you get foreshadowing of the influence that Mari has had on her character, but she still retains a little bit of, of her core essence. And then later you get uh, sort of the parallel where Mari is still wearing her darker colors. And this is, I think, when Olivia goes to her in the van. And says, hey, I want to burn down my house. And uh, and Mario's still wearing her, her dark colors with a yellow striped uh, cardigan over top. So I love the color theory. I love uh, I, I love that integration. Was that intentional or is it just my over analytical brain uh, really tugging at the little threads that aren't actually there? Because I tend to do that a lot. Um, 100% intentional. Next question. <laughs> no, but genuinely, genuinely though, it was intentional. But I also want to give a special shout out because this was a very scrappy production and we did not technically have a costume designer, but there is a very talented costume designer named Francesca Roth, who we sent the script to and she created a lot of the guide for us to be like, this is what you should do with costumes. And she sent us back a lookbook that kind of pitched the exact arc you're talking about. That was like, they should start in these colors. They should transition to this. And she laid out a whole bunch of examples for me and Jackie. And so I basically brought that lookbook to Jackie and I was like, help me find stuff that looks good. And so um, Jackie had a huge hand in this too. So I'm interested to hear her thoughts, but basically the two of us using Francesca's notes created the costumes and then took them back to Francesca to be like, did we do okay? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, she did. She, the lookbook she sent was, was so thorough. Um, Like it, she was really big on having Olivia in really specific types of patterns. Like she, she loved the patterns and integrating those in a way that um, it was bright and it was sunny, sunny, but it wasn't distracting. And there was, you know, a certain level of extravagance that we wanted Olivia to have. We wanted her to seem a little bit too rich for what she feels herself going through. And so uh, yeah, when we were shopping through, it was it, she made it so um, Francesca made it so easy with the guide. And from there, we were like, OK, so what do rich white women of a certain age <laughs> what do they wear? What feels good? What looks good? Um, and it was fun to do all that shopping. Some of it was <laughs> a little outside. Some of it was a little yeah. inside my closet. <laughs> yeah. And Jackie got to keep the stuff we couldn't return. So. I did. So now it's all part of my closet. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think the whole point was that we wanted her to seem fun and vibrant because that's who she had been. And I think it was really, you know, we touched, there are a couple of moments that are touched on in the script. Like 
I guess since we're in the spoilers, we can talk about how yeah. her yes. mother had a cancer scare. And so that up until this point, I think had been the roughest thing she had gone through. So I think she enveloped this very feminine, very sunny disposition, because again, it's part of the rule book of how to succeed, specifically of how to succeed as a woman is to appear very non-threatening, very approachable, very sweet and kind. And I think that that was a lot of the focus that was put in, especially initially with her costume. And then the dress at the end was so fun. Um, because like you said, it's dark, it's this like deep Navy blue, but it's also, it's still silk and it's still floral. So it's a little, it's Olivia with an edge. Um, she doesn't go like the full Sandra D of Greece where you're like (laughs) recognizable, (laughs) but there's a little bit of that to it. And I think that that's so important to her as a character is that she didn't let Mari change who she was, but she did let that influence seep in. So uh, a lot of the questions from here on out, I should give you a heads up. Y'all ever watch old Saturday Night Live when Chris Farley would do the interviews and and he was like, hey, you remember that time where you a lot of these questions are going to be along that line where it's just me heaping praise on things that I love about this movie and then talk about them is uh, is essentially going to be that question yeah. um, this is my favorite kind of conversation actually <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're okay we should, we should probably sidebar and make sure we're okay with it but i, I think we're all okay. yeah yeah we'll take compliments that's fine yeah we'll, we'll accept, we'll yeah. accept some yeah we don't usually do this but no. we will make an exception <laughs> all right I'll, I'll try to keep the compliments in check try to not be you, you know you. To, Very try not to uh keep them on too heavy yeah. <laughs> the uh, so I, I want to come back to uh, to Jackie. Your acting. You know, we talked a little bit about that earlier in terms of you know how how real it is and how authentic it feels and how you reminded me so much of especially like one specific person that I know where it's like you are this person to a T. But I want to come back to that uh, and, and especially bring it together. Uh, Andrew, with some of those, uh, some of the things that we're talking about where you were like, okay, you had a much darker version of it. So it's bringing these two things together because one of my favorite scenes in this movie is the never have I ever seen. And there's a couple of reasons. One of them I'll get to uh, in just a little bit. But one of the things that I love so much about that scene is there's no music. And so you don't get the music giving you the tone. You don't get the music telling you how you should feel. It is all about the interaction between these two characters. And in that scene, I feel like it's it's not the darkest scene of the movie, but it definitely feels like the most raw scene of the movie. Like it feels like this is the potential for there to be a, a ton of drama and, and you feel that tension between them, but it still is keeping that light pace. It's still keeping that comedy. I don't feel like it breaks the tone of the movie, but it does have a, a much more direct uh, feel about it. And I love that scene. And, uh, and, and so it's kind of a, a two-parter where it's like, Jackie, I love your acting that scene. I love it throughout the entire movie, but in, in that scene in particular, because you do have a little bit more of that passive aggressive aggression, where like you're you're a little a, a little bitchy in that scene like not <laughs> overly like just enough where you're like did she break into my apartment but you rather than just talking to her about it you're like mm, how can i uh, i'm i'm going to get her drunk and it backfires and and so i i i love just the rawness in that scene um and, and so i want to hear a little bit uh, again how you approach that scene 
questions that I hate asking, but still keeping praise on it and, and then talking about it. Uh, and, and then following that, Andrew, again, kind of balancing that tone because that scene does go a little bit darker. And, you know, like, was that sort of a sort of a taste of where the movie could have been going? So, Jackie, let's start with you. Um, I think a big thing about Olivia's character, and it's something that Mari says later in the movie when Mari's getting ready to leave in the van, is just that she, Olivia is so bad at confrontation. Um, it's just not something she does. And if she does do it, I think we see several times that she doesn't necessarily do it well. She has a really hard time standing her ground. And so I think for her doing it in this, like, it's a lighthearted game, but really I'm asking you uh, questions because I, I suspect you, I don't trust you. It's a little bit of feeling out. I approached it as if, you know, it was a little bit of feeling out a brand new friendship, one where you don't know how they're going to react when you confront them. This is also pretty much a stranger in her house. And I think as mad as she is that this person could have taken advantage of her, she's also a little scared of the answer. And when you ask somebody something outright, that's just a level of courage that I don't think she was prepared for yet at that moment. You know, if you just ask someone the question, then you have to really hear the truth. And I think there was a part of her that didn't want the truth because if the truth is she can't trust Mari, then she really is completely alone. What does she have? Mm -hmm. And so she's mad at this sense of possible betrayal of the one person she thinks she has. She's also desperately afraid of losing that one person. And so we did have to find a little bit of the balance in that tone. And that scene changed several times. Um, yeah. But, to, yeah. Not to cut you off, but um, so I, I'm glad that you like that scene. That scene we were nervous about because it feels like two close ups for four minutes. Like, oh, I, we hope that this sustains. But also on set, specifically our first day of shooting was when they break into the house and it that scene ends in the midpoint. And it ends with Jackie yelling or Olivia yelling at Mari being like, you can't do this. And our second day of shooting was them on top of the mountain when they're friends and they're talking about their friendship ending. And I remember seeing those two scenes filmed back to back and thinking like the scenes that happen in between these two as currently scripted do not justify this friendship growing to this level. And so while filming, we went back to the never have I ever seen and we demolished it and we completely rewrote it like in the evenings during the shoot. And I think on the day of at lunch, I was still like in a back room with Jackie being like, what are some other ones we can do? And so and then we just went and filmed it. So like it is in some ways also the rawest scene in the movie because we were forced to change all of it on the fly and to find a new level that was softer and didn't escalate into this like knockdown drag out fight. Mm -hmm. And that's I think where a lot of these complexities kind of started to enter. Well, and I think it also just speaks back to what you're saying of that's part of what makes this relatable is that do you really confront a brand new friend immediately with information that you suspect about them? Or do you try to hope that they tell you themselves? Um, so I think if anything, as sort of silly as it is to do a never have I ever game to get, you know, important information out of someone it is a in my head like that feels more realistic than a full-blown confrontation that escalates into a big fight um this felt a little bit more like how these two women would get to know each other and how olivia would have to get to the bottom of it yeah they my favorite scene because uh it really really serves to showcase that y'all are down to 
party. Because, <laughs> you get wasted. They were, they were, like when we were, even when we were shooting it, they were lining up those shots. And I was like, Jesus Christ! Dude, this is, I, you know, your yeah. took five shots full to the top. Like I, it would be curtains. Like yeah, that would be, I, yeah, that would be it for them. I also think maybe the most impressive acting in the entire movie is that's just iced tea, but they make it look like whiskey. Well, to be <laughs> fair, it was not good iced tea. Uh, yeah, it was pretty you watered remember. down. It was really yeah. gross. Uh, did we put wine in it or something? There we was might a have. splash of wine for color. There were a couple of times where it was like the liquids in there had to be really yeah. it was a special yeah. combination. Y'all were extremely <laughs> hydrated. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and it's very uh, caffeinated, too. Yeah. It was a problem. It was, it was black tea, and it was like the last shot of the day or something. <laughs> So we were both extremely caffeinated, but yeah. unbelievably tired. Whoops. Well, honestly, that's one of the things that I did notice, Mark, because uh, like Mari, I think, does three shots in about 30 seconds. And I was like, oh, yeah. oh my God, this is. Y'all are blacking out. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a fifth of butt, like liquor. Yeah. It, you know. Yeah. But they do. I went to say black school, out. Yeah, also. I've seen, I've seen, <laughs> they do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, not a problem. Not we address it. No, no, it's <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's uh that it, that's not a that's not a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> well and it's Andrew, a lot. It's a lot. Uh, Andrew, when you said, you know, like hopefully people didn't get bored with just, you know, the these close up for uh, for four minutes. Like I said, with the the scenes that felt a little bit more composed uh, with with that horror cinematography. This part of the reason that I think that the scene does have that more raw dramatic feel is, you know, like because of those close ups, it does feel more like watching, you know, an, an indie drama where it is really focusing in on those characters. And so I recognize some of that was probably just the limitations of the room. But again, kudos to Mark, because every scene in this movie feels like it was intentionally shot to convey a specific mood or can uh, convey a specific theme or to convey something about these characters. It didn't just feel like, Oh, well, yep, let's we're in a small room. So I guess we have to do close ups. It's like, no, you are getting up close with these yeah. characters. And so you so, have to be up close with the camera. Well, this was the scene that we referenced the master for, right? If I recall yeah. correctly, it's, so, uh, yeah, be it, really specifically. I mean, honestly, I, I appreciate you saying that, but none of this is off the cuff. Yeah. Well, literally, Andrew and I shot every shot of this film uh, like a month before we even set foot on set for day one. Yeah, it's really crazy um, how closely our plans we, aligned to the final Yeah, plan and we, I don't, we, have to, we don't have to talk too much about this because it's maybe kind of boring, but uh, <laughs> we, we used a piece of software that utilizes um, Unreal Engine to create characters and you can build sets and stuff and simulate lighting and, and put a virtual camera in there. And we had all of these, because it was the only way, it was the only way. I mean, and I've done this several times now, but, you know, movies on a certain budget level with limited days and crew and support, like, you really can't be having these kinds of conversations on the day because you don't have to. Right. And you don't have support. And um, so we had all of these conversations in prep, uh, looking at digital actors in and through a digital camera, like virtual, sorry, not digital, although I guess it is um, but uh, fully, fully, you know, diving into the meat of each scene. This is how we want to start it. This is how we want to finish it, and and having the luxury, frankly, of being able to to shoot it all, so that when we showed up to actually shoot it, it was really just um, paint by numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sense. And I think our creative influences for that scene too. They probably feel off the wall, but it's like the opening scene of Inglorious Bastards, where there's like 16 <laughs> minutes of dialogue, but it's still tense anyway. 
and the processing scene in the master, which um, is essentially just two very dark close-ups of Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman. And they hold that scene forever because the acting is really good. So it was also a big ask of Jackie and Nicolette to be like, hey, can you just carry this? You, we'll give you no Such support. This ask. is on you. Such a big ask. <laughs> and we didn't write it until lunch. So good luck. And uh, yeah. they knocked it out of the park. They did knock it out of the park. Yeah. Well, and and there's so many little things that you get to know about these characters, and, and and I kind of referenced that earlier, where you get to know more about these characters, especially Mari's backstory, without it feeling out of nowhere. Like it doesn't feel out of place. It doesn't feel out of place. It doesn't feel like um, it doesn't feel like you're throwing in drama just for the sake of throwing in drama. It feels like you are getting to know these two characters by getting to know them, and. And and like on the surface, again, this movie does feel very light, but so many of those elements that bring context to these characters, like when you find out that Olivia has done cocaine and that she has had an STD (laughs) and that she might or might not have shit herself when she was uh, passed out in the desert. And you find out uh, in, in different conversations that Mari was was married and that she was a lawyer and that she loved her husband, but she left because it was a soul crushing life. And like all of these elements that again, it doesn't feel like it's infusing in any sort of like artificial drama. Like, Oh, I know let's give Olivia a backstory of cocaine use. It's just like, no, that yeah, she seems like the type of person who probably would have, you know, done a few bumps here and there. And so like it, it brings more of that authenticity to these characters in a way that made me care about them, especially uh, one of my other favorite scenes is when Mari is talking about how she was married and you see those tears starting to well up when she talks about how soul crushing her life was. And to me, I didn't feel like those tears were just because of like, Oh, I was in this, you know, I, I, I needed to change my life. I felt like some of those tears or, you know, the, the, the almost tears were because she did still love and miss her husband. And it's like, I, I, I it's not that I hated him. He wasn't abusive. Nothing was bad. It was just, this is just not the life that I was meant to lead. And, and so having to make that decision and how it led into something as simple as just her, you know, her uh, life motto of just, are you happy? Where it's just like, yeah, there's so much shit that people go through. And if you're not happy, damn like what what can you do like life sucks anyways try to find some joy and 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 again it felt so authentic and and i love the depth that you give to these characters without it turning into a melodrama of here let's go and really examine all of these issues just because i don't feel like that's the movie that this was yeah thank you i appreciate that and i i love this style of storytelling that it feels like an onion like you're just gently unpeeling things as you go and to me those are really rich stories and i don't think that the like mainstream hollywood industries encourages that very often i think they just want it to like you know hit like a brick just be like tell us who the character is no more depth go and <laughs> so i don't know i'm glad that all of that stuff worked yeah definitely worked for me uh it's also true uh that i want a movie just focusing on mari's life and it's also true even though I've said I'm glad that this isn't a falling down esque story, 
I really want like a falling down Kill Bill esque story where Olivia and Mari just like go on a rampage and because like I be, because of that never have I ever seen and because that little bit of darkness that you see it's like I could totally see these two kicking ass. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, I, I need dragging that them movie. out to the desert. It becomes the most dangerous game uh, where they're hunting you. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. In open open ground. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. That's a good we'll, we'll, that's, yeah, That'll we'll be the, start third, this that'll week, be the yeah. third of the franchise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he gets that stupid little tool belt that he's wearing when he's yes. trying to look manly. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so. I I, I want to see a sequel where Lou gets canceled. That's, that's my hope. <laughs> I want to see a sequel where Lou's mustache uh, grows and grows and grows until it's about out to uh, here. Yes. <laughs> like some kind of curse. <laughs> so uh, sticking with some of the drinking scenes uh, and sticking with some of the cinematography, I want to talk about the, the two scenes where Olivia blacks out and, and wakes up, but most specifically the first one for two reasons. One, uh, she wakes up and her life is literally turned upside down. So, uh, Mark, I want to get uh, some of your take on the cinematography and, and how you approach that scene with, you know, filming things as her life was turned upside down. And then, uh, Andrew, I want to talk a little bit about how a lot of movies have a baptism scene through water. And this movie has a baptism scene through whiskey twice. And I fucking love it. So <laughs> yeah, I think that's why we got into Chattanooga. It's <laughs> all making sense. Yeah. Yep. Next time, uh, use Chattanooga whiskey, and uh, and and there you go. Yeah. We'll get that sponsorship. <laughs> so, so yeah, uh, her life is turning upside down. She she gets blackout drunk, and like that is her baptism scene, where her life is now completely changed. And she wakes up and it's literally upside down. So, Mark, let's start with you uh, on, on this one. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it just was the opportunity to, like, that is that is one of those moments when you read a script where it's like, okay, that's an opportunity to do something fun and uh, something interesting. And I think originally we had talked about wanting to follow her as she yeah. sat up, uh, which, which has been, we're, we're not the first of that well, but... Um, yeah. Uh, we, we, you know, we really wanted to start that way and then be able to like kind of sit up with her as she sits up, uh, and it came to find that we lacked the resources to do it. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'll also actually uh, create the rig to do that. Uh, so we stuck with just, just the, the sort of camera laying on its side, which was literally as primitive as taking a camera and laying it on its side <laughs> on a sandbag. And that is, <laughs> that was how. That was how we did that shot. Yeah, but I'll also give uh, Mark some props here because I believe it was the first shot you pitched for the movie. I think like the first time we met, you're like, so when she wakes up in the desert, this is how I see it. And you pitched that. And I'm like, hey, that's cool. So it's every time I see that. Shot. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's my favorite <laughs> shot. I love that shot. It's a Mark special. It's so nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just, uh, I think the location obviously helps. Like, yeah, it just, it really, it slaps you in the face because the rest of the movie is very composed. And, um, you know, in, when when you see that it's it really is uh uh you know it breaks breaks the form which is really just what we wanted to do mm-hmm. um for each of those you know kind of it's it, there was a lot of call and response in this movie and i scheduled a lot of that stuff in and uh that was that was one 
of the two that we got to have fun with. And I really appreciate that. I love it when movies give you a a, a setup and a payoff. So love the call and response because it, thank you for yeah, having gives yeah. gives bookending, which I love. Uh, <laughs> so so Andrew, what about um what about that scene being again baptism through whiskey? Yeah, I mean the honest answer is I got to skip a lot of exposition. <laughs> we, we just like blacked I, I out. Through I don't that. necessarily mean the blacking out. So like I, I think of things like in Boondock Saints where like they're sleeping and the water is dripping down on them and like they wake up and it's like, oh no, this is our mission. And like there's lots of scenes, you know, like in, uh, in, in romance um, movies where, you know, their, their big declaration of love is when it's raining. So, you know, like there's a lot of, the, those movie allegories where that big change in the person's life is happening in connection to water. And yeah. with this movie being near the beach, there's the potential that that could have been the the way that that was done of, you know, like something happens at the beach and that is what changes her life. And you kind of get that with the fact that she meets Mari there, but I don't feel like she really was making a change in who she was, but when everything's falling apart and, uh, and Olivia gets drunk, it's like, that is when there was the decision things are going to be different. And, uh, and, and again, you have a double baptism scene because after that, um, after the never have I ever, when she wakes up blacked out uh, upside down again, it's <laughs> like there was another drastic change in her life. So I don't necessarily mean the blacking out to avoid exposition. <laughs> well, yeah. So I guess I would say that there is a very, very intentional decision in the movie to associate Olivia with water and Mari with fire for reasons that kind of become obvious. But so we have Olivia, she's calmed by water. She has like water backgrounds on her phone. She goes to the water when she needs to like find herself. And then there is a process over the course of the movie through like this fire scene out in the desert and her being at the fireplace of her embracing fire. But I think like Jackie said, with the costumes, it's not that she becomes Mari, it's that she becomes influenced by Mari. So I would argue that maybe halfway between water and fire is whiskey, which is why she comes <laughs> to embrace whiskey throughout the movie. I love that. Yeah. Love that as well. <laughs> That's that You're ready to launch your own uh, distillery, I think, with that lot. Yeah. Line. And this is a sales pitch to be a sales rep at Chattanooga Whiskey. Where, like, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah. Halfway from water is fire. Yeah. Chattanooga Whiskey. By Andrew. <laughs> You, you know what? I would totally, totally get a, a shirt that says "Between Water and Fire" is uh, is whiskey. Chattanooga yeah, whiskey. Very true. Really brilliant. I thought maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whiskey meltdown coming soon. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> see that? That's the sequel where uh, Olivia and Mari do turn into just total badasses, and so the whiskey meltdown is you know they 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 down a, a, a bottle of whiskey. And then go kick some ass and, and, you know, fuck up the patriarchy. I love it. Are you down, Jackie? Oh, of course. I mean, I love drunken <laughs> chaos. It's my favorite kind. <laughs> Normal Tuesday night for you, I think. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> well, it's Monday, right? Yeah. <laughs> Is it Monday? <laughs> I don't know anymore. <laughs> so with, with some of those fire themes uh, and, and Mark, with some of that call response, more great foreshadowing and uh, and and set up and payoff where Mari is uh, writing things down on paper and saying, you know, you need to burn your problems. You know, it's a great way to release. And not only do you get the scene with uh, with Olivia in front of the fireplace, which we've already talked about a little bit, 
But then you get that great payoff where she is doing exactly that with burning her house. And so it's not just a, well, here's a way to escape the problem, but it's bringing in that tiny little bit of influence that, that Mari gave at the very beginning of this is just a great way to get rid of these problems. But rather than writing it down, it's literally burning down the problems. Uh, and, and so, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of really great setup and payoff in this movie in, in a way that, um, again, as long as you're just being with the movie and on this journey with these characters, it is so satisfying and so fulfilling when, when the house explodes. It's just some great stuff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that was, it's the reason I wanted to write this. I, I mentioned that I was inspired by having been broken into. And uh, that inspired me to like embrace a little bit more minimalist living and just have less stuff. Because it felt like every time I bought anything expensive, it just got stolen. So I was like, screw it. And so I was like, how do you take that emotional journey and explode it on a big scale? And I was like, well, naturally, I guess you just want to burn it all down. And then when you combine that with... uh you know, how I'm feeling about certain political things these days. Burning things down just felt like the natural ending to this movie. Right. Unfortunately, I, I hate to spoil that we did not actually burn down the real house. Yeah, yeah. It's not a practical house explosion. Although yeah. for, a, for a while, I think we had the hubris to believe that we could find someone to do a favor to build us a scale model. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. <laughs> because yeah, we really were adding up yeah. we're like dude i just you know let's do a lethal weapon style man like i, I feel like that's <laughs> yeah why not why Bring not somebody's still filmmaking let's just yeah. somebody will build a model like we could somebody we must know somebody that can build a model and we talked about that for ages because i really <laughs> didn't want to uh i just find that fire effects they're, they're very difficult to, to really sell a lot and um, for yeah. especially at the scale that we needed it, and I, I had it in my head that was like, dude, we're gonna blow up a like a, a like an, a six foot tall model <laughs> of this house somehow, and that's gonna be awesome. And um, uh, real lesson learned for me about what actually is <laughs> in the, the building of scale models and, yeah. and the people uh, and the time that it takes to do that. And thankfully, our, our our VFX artist, um, yeah, Jared just, Potter, just, oh man such excellent work and right. and we still you know uh, andrew and i were a lot of that was was practical fire that we were able to mix in yeah. uh which was i think really is what helps that sequence and yeah. we won't speak of the night that we <laughs> yes but that is the spoiler of what happened to all the props in my apartment we burned them yes. <laughs> <laughs> um the night driving back out mm. to the same desert location uh as seen throughout the rest of the movie yeah um where uh, we, me and you and a can full of kerosene, I believe. Uh, <laughs> yes. Those are the only things on the call sheet. And uh, so, uh, again, to like shout out our VFX artist, Jared Potter, too. Um, he did a pass of all the fire stuff before Mark and I filmed any practical elements. And they looked good. But then we went and we lit some props on fire. And we filmed them <laughs> and it just didn't cut in. So Jared was just like, ah, I got it. And he used all of the information that we had captured on the day to like redo his shots. And to me, they became like pretty seamless. Yeah. Jared, I think Jared did great excellent, work. Excellent yeah. work. Yeah. No, it, it looks great. Yeah. Unfortunately, the real place didn't burn. Uh, <laughs> but that's great. It means you can still go visit it. I won't dox the homeowners or anything, but the house is still there. <laughs> <laughs> 
ready for that American Meltdown tour yeah. business to, to take off at any moment. Yeah. Also, I am legally required to tell anyone who goes to visit not to burn it down. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't shoot. Yeah. Firecrackers. No, no fire uh, into the pantry window. <laughs> um. So with 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 house burning down, with all of that destruction, I have a question, and totally totally understand if the answer is we don't want to tell you. Did Mari break into Olivia's house because of that smiley face, or? Was it just looking at that smiley face and like, oh, I'm going to use that now moving forward to kind of throw people off because because I could see it going either way. I could see it being just a, oh, there was a smiley face. Yep, sure. Let's let's go ahead and include that uh, so that the um, so that the cop understands, the, oh, maybe this is happening uh, to, to more than one person. But part of the reason that I'm I'm hoping Part of the reason that I'm hoping that Mari did break into her house is this movie has the potential to be a great double billing with Fight Club, where yeah. Mari <laughs> might or might not be real because she is kind of the uh, not quite antithesis, but just that darker, uh, more wish fulfillment side of of Olivia, and. There's nothing in this movie that indicates that she isn't real. In, in fact, there's, you know, the cop saying she's a felon. So there's very clear evidence that she is, but there's just enough of, Hmm, this movie could be a lot more interesting. If, uh, let me rephrase that because that made it sound like the movie wasn't interesting. There could be a different, <laughs> a different contextual tone that could have also been added. If this movie is the, you know, the, that American meltdown, is Olivia's psychosis of burning her own place, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Well, um, I'll say two things. One is that I went through a deep fight club phase in high school. Uh, and it's one of my absolute favorite movies. And I can't deny that it's like pretty deep in the DNA of this one too. Um, and I will also say that, Personally, the most frustrating thing about having been broken into five times is you never find out who did it. And so I wanted that ambiguity to be baked into the movie. In my opinion, everything you need to know is in the movie. <laughs> That's all no I got. Further, no, further <laughs> no further comment. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> and I was, it was a debate on set. Everybody, I think, has a different theory. And Everybody did have a different theory. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I definitely don't think that it detracts from the movie, like whether she did or didn't. I don't think it's like, oh, well, if she did, it's great. If she didn't, it's a terrible movie. It's like, no, regardless, it still works. Jackie, what does Olivia think? Not what do you, the the actress who knows the the script and has talked to Andrew uh, about what uh, happened in the movie. But what does Olivia think? Even though Olivia and Mari did get very close at the end of the day, does she still think that Mari did break into her house but accepts it because of the, the line that she gives at the end of, I'm not happy about it, but it was the only way? Is she not happy about it but accepts this was the only way for her life to change? Or does Olivia genuinely think, nope, it wasn't her, must have been someone else? I think there comes a point where Olivia stops asking herself that question. Because regardless of whether or not it's true, 
this person has shown up for her in a way that no one else ever has. And so I think for a a certain point for Olivia, that's the least of her concerns um, because she starts to feel safe with Mari. And I think as soon as she starts to feel safe with Mari, it doesn't actually matter who was responsible for breaking into her house. But instead, what begins to matter more to her is who is going to help me fix this? And the answer is very much no one. Um, and, but she has one person to rely on and, you know, there are people you have in your life who you love so much and you trust so much that there are certain things you're like, I'll just forgive it for, I'll forgive you for this. It's not like if, if Mari did do it, I think there's a point where Olivia understands it wasn't to hurt her. Um, it's to hurt the system. Mm -hmm. And once she stops taking things so personally, I think the answer to that just becomes unimportant. And instead it's, it's all about surviving. Yeah. Thank you. Totally agree. (laughs) Um, Okay. There are two little things that I want to say, just like, Hey, I, I love this, but I think I might be at the end of my questions after this. Um, I, I loved when I, I wanted the cuts when, uh, when Olivia is in the police station, I love that the timestamp on the camera is at 25 minutes and whatever seconds, which is the point of the movie. So I, I, I love that little, uh, little matching. And I also love the toast of, uh, to landlords made they burn in hell and on earth. Uh, so that, that's all. I just, I just wanted to uh, give nods to both of those because Thank you. <laughs> they, it's, it's the little things for me that take a movie from being like, Oh yeah, sure. It's a fun movie. And Oh yeah, there's lots of great themes that can be discussed, but it's all of those little tiny bits that I love digging into. And, and I love just being like, you know what? This is what gives this movie character. These are the things that take it from being just a well done movie to a movie with personality. So Again, I, I really appreciate all of those little touches that you added into this movie. Thank you so much. That's very kind. And I hope that toast takes off. I want everyone to do it. <laughs> I didn't even know. Uh, I, I'm just me learning right now about yeah. the timestamp and the video camera. Yeah, that's I know. A, I didn't even know that. Yeah, that's a, that's a Josh Cole special. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I clearly like when I watch movies to uh, if I see something that I'm like, hey, wait a second, I <laughs> I focus in, like yeah. like on that written check because yes, yeah. I did make sure <laughs> we yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, did that I don't know. That's rent sucks. It's yeah. so expensive. Well, that that, night, it, that that specific part of the movie I think was like hour sixteen, maybe just the three of us. Yeah. Left. Well. Yeah. That was uh, yeah. Uh, trying just you know we there were we chewed through yeah there were there was a lot of the stuff in that house that was just Jackie and Andrew and I yeah that's uh, part of the reason that we wanted the three of us on this podcast because we just had like <laughs> nights at the house drinking wine shooting things alone yeah we just and I think we actually through. were drinking during that scene yeah we were so, uh, a whole <laughs> conversation about like what the rent should be and what would be too much and what didn't seem like enough and yeah. And we also we landed on yeah. that number like no one's gonna no, look. Yeah, yeah, no one's gonna. We'll cut <laughs> we it so we quickly. Condone, not a single person will notice. <laughs> we don't. We don't condone consuming alcohol while working. But that that yeah, no, that one night was uh, it, at the end of a very long day, yeah. and we still had like a full sequence to shoot, and it was uh, we were just like, you know what? Yeah. Let's just get the real deal going, and we'll we'll bang this out. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's here's one of the reasons that it actually is. I think kind of important to show that like we were talking about earlier, where sometimes one tiny thing can send someone who is fairly well off 
towards potential homelessness. Like yeah. anyone who's like, oh, well, actors make so much money or people in Hollywood make so much money. Yeah. And then they pay $4,000 in rent. Like yeah. it. Well, it's also yeah, it's you ridiculous. Know, a, big part of it, a big part of it for her, too, is the fact that she didn't choose to pay all of that rent herself. Right. She was splitting yeah. it with someone else. And when you look at things as yeah. she's been splitting these bills, she's been splitting the rent for however long she was with her boyfriend and he suddenly up and leaves with nothing. You run through your savings so quickly and suddenly a lifestyle that doesn't seem, you know, outside of your means very quickly becomes outside of your means because suddenly everything is doubled. Yeah. And then when you lose your job on top of it, it's like, yeah, you can take a look at that rent check and be like, what the fuck is she thinking? Move into a cheaper place. And it's like, but can you? Because she spent the past few months going through her savings. So does she even have enough for the down payment, first month's rent, sometimes second, to prove that she makes three to four times the rent? No. Well, and she's locked in with the uh, with the contract. So like when she tries to leave, it's like, exactly. nope, it's going to cost even more. And and yeah, it's it's all of these systemic issues that just, just fuck everyone. And yeah. 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 But the point is that it fucks everyone. And exactly. we're in it together. And in that time like now, solidarity gets us through, which is, you know, why you see things like a strike happening and why it hopefully is working and why good things will come out of it. Yeah. And why people need basic human empathy. Yeah. Yeah. And also just the way that once you take your life into your own hands and take charge of your own happiness, you know, not to be gross about it but it's the whole phoenix from the ashes ideology right like she quite literally is going to come out of the ashes of her life and hopefully find a way to lead a better more fulfilling one yeah um and we had talks on set about whether or not we how long we thought they hung out in the van afterwards (laughs) does this become the permanent lifestyle does it not and we all had different takes on it too um but i think it's nice that it ends on the optimistic note of like, this is so hard, but with a little empathy and coming at things from an, a creative perspective, <laughs> you yeah, and, uh, can change your life. And, and that really, it, just as an aside, that was one of the more fun parts of the whole experience because it was such a small crew that ordinarily you would never get to be party to these kinds of conversations where people are so invested in the story of what you're shooting that they're talking about it in their free time. Uh, but on our set, I mean, there was nine of us. So it, it was, you know, we, people were in for a penny and for a pound and everybody had different ideas uh, about each scene and what they thought it meant and, and uh, we're sharing those things. And that that's a really, really rare thing yeah. uh, in this business, especially. And uh, something that I, I look back on very fondly. Yeah. Unrelated to all of this, I just need to point this out to our listeners because people are, are listening and not watching. Not only uh, it, going back to some of the color theory that we were talking about earlier in this episode, not only is Jackie wearing a, a bright colored outfit with a uh, bright um, uh, curtain behind her, but Mark, Andrew and I are all wearing dark shirts. And as the sun has started uh, setting uh, further in the West and <laughs> there is less natural light. Now, uh, Mark, Andrew and I are all in darkened rooms 
And so, so you can turn a light on in darkness. There are three dark rooms with dudes in dark shirts and Jackie with a very colorful, bright, uh, well lit living room. Yeah, it's befitting. And and just real quickly, speaking of color science and stuff, we, we I think Andrew and I both owe a really big shout out to Billy Hobson at Harvard, absolutely, um, who was our colorist on this film and a huge creative partner and uh somebody who's to a very large degree a big part of the success equation for visually how well everything works and he his his uh input and in, in work on this was just invaluable for us yeah absolutely yeah and and again film looks great i personally cannot wait to watch it again um all right i feel like i've kept all of you long enough there's probably even more that i could dive into but i'm also keenly aware of the fact that i feel like all of our energies are starting to wane just a little bit so <laughs> we should probably go ahead and uh and wrap things up uh but before you give all of your social handles uh is there anything else that you want to make sure that the listeners know uh, about American Meltdown, either about the movie itself or about the process, anything that I didn't ask about, uh, and maybe something that, you know, during all of the interviews and Q&A sessions, people tend to not ask. Is there just anything else? You're like, you know what? I really want to make sure that people know, blah, what, whatever that might be. Yeah, I mean, I would say, to be honest, you're pretty good at this. And like, this was very thorough and impressive. And like, no, I don't think that there is stuff that was uncovered. I'm, I think this was great, but I, oh, I will you. just add that like, um, it is, we did everything we could to make this movie look as big as possible. But the reality of it is like, we made this with so few people. And the only reason that we were able to get it to this level is because everybody like gave it their all and did such like impressive work. And there's a lot of people like I, I don't really have like the time to get through all the names. But there's only like 25 people who are involved in the movie, but there's they were all incredible. And so just in case any cast or crew are listening, I just want to like give them all a shout out because I really would not be here if they had not given everything. So, yeah, every single person who stepped foot on set or even was working off set afterwards before even during and not there like you could just tell how invested everybody was in the project and how invested everyone was in the script. And so much of it came back around to the fact that Andrew, even though he was wearing 86 different hats and doing production design and directing and doing rewrites, he kept the morale up in a way that I think is so important on these indie projects because you're doing so much with, with so little Um, and you're putting so much time, just a lot of time and energy, which of course you always are, but, um, he did such an incredible job of making sure that we all felt like we were an, a, a big part of it. Um, and it was really fun to just sit around and talk about everybody's theories and then to, to see it all come together in a way where it does look big. And to quote Harry Styles, it feels like a movie. <laughs> um, it's, it's so nice to see it um, together in this way. Cause you know, working long hours with particularly Mark and Andrew, seeing how hard they were working and how tireless their process was. Um, it's, it's lovely to see how, how it came together and to just know that it's a labor of just so much love and passion overall. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really the biggest thing, isn't it? It's uh, I mean, this ours was the indiest of the Indies. I mean, it really was just such a small group of people 
standing on the shoulders of favors given by giants. And um, <laughs> uh, that is how we did it. I mean, it's, it's uh, much goodwill was shared um, by friends and colleagues. And, you know, we, we had a lot of really well-qualified uh, professionals come out and staff it for us. Um, and uh, everybody was there for the love of the craft, you know, which sounds kind of cheesy, I guess, but um, that's, that's the thing that kind of carried us all through and kind of, you know, brought us together as a bit of a family in a way. Yeah. I think and, one of uh, the, well, sorry, but yeah, I think one of the craziest things about this whole process to me is like, we didn't have many resources. We couldn't offer people a lot for them to come on. So the people who did sign up anyway had such passion and were there for the right reasons. They <laughs> were there because they just wanted to be a part of something that they, believed in and it created yeah. this vibe on set that i think is what we're all reacting to where like it felt special it felt like summer camp with friends and there were hard days but like it was a very special experience with a lot of great people. yeah never really that hard i mean the hardest days were mostly just andrew and i at the end of the days <laughs> being like yeah, we're never gonna do this again man we're not doing this again <laughs> well you're you're gonna have to do it again so for a whiskey it. meltdown there was never, there were no meltdowns on meltdown. It was mostly just, just he and I being like, so this is it though. Like if this doesn't work out, like we're both never doing this. Like I'm never going to do this again. <laughs> but it's working out. But it's where it is. Where we out. are. Yeah. You uh, waited till the end of the day to say that under your breath. Cause I feel like sometimes it happens. Oh, it was always yeah. loading back into my car because that, that was also the production truck. So yeah. it, was, it was the last thing to happen. It was made, it was the worst part of my day because it was like, you're, you're just exhausted having to load C stands into your Subaru Forester. <laughs> like, just, just shaking my head at Andrew being like, I, I love this man. I love this, but I'm never doing it again. Right. <laughs> well, and then you, and then we would change. And then the next night it would be you being like, I, 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 I can't ask anybody to do this. Again. I will never ask anybody to do this again. We just went back and forth like that. For yeah. <laughs> well, the, the movie definitely has heart and it shines through. And that is one of the reasons that I love it. Uh, and you. I love all of you. Thank you so much for joining, uh, for joining me. This has been a blast. I, at this point we've talked about the movie for almost twice as long as the movie is itself. <laughs> so. Yeah, wild. Yeah. And actually, just real quickly, I do have something that I, I really need to just sh like spotlight because I do think it's very important. Um, Jackie's Insta Handle, I actually just need it one more time because <laughs> I meant to write it down and I forgot. So oh, no, just that, was, that was the next thing is <laughs> so... Tell everyone again where they can find you uh, all of the self-promotion that, uh, you know, that, that you do at the end of interviews and Q&As. So, Jackie, we are going to both start and end with you. <laughs> Sergeant's one of those weird words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you always misspell it. So what is the exact spelling? You can just go better by letter. I'll get my phone it's out. SGT <laughs> underpants. How it so sounds. No dash or how, yeah. How does it? No I dash, don't it's all one word. Okay. Just SGT under underpants and mm -hmm. sort of like underpants, like just in the normal vernacular, just underpants. Yeah, so. I'm confused. So you're confused because you follow me, right? Uh, <laughs> no, for sure, for sure. I have several accounts. I'm I mean, confused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm so. confused. Is it like the underpants of a sergeant? Or is, am, a, uh, or is it a or is it a sergeant of the underpants? Yeah. 
I am the sergeant of the underpants. Which is better because it, it somehow uh, <laughs> suggests that there you serve others. You, there are superiors above you in the underpants. Lieutenant hierarchy. underpants? Colonel yeah, underpants. There, there is a general underpants out there somewhere. <laughs> you give some orders, you take some orders. But in general, <laughs> there underpants are involved. Well, what better way to end it? Yeah. That's it. Honestly, just go find, follow Jackie. You can find us through her account. <laughs> Forget, forget everything else. Everyone go follow Sergeant Underpants. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, man. I, I wish that people could have seen this episode because uh, earlier when you were giving the uh, the Instagram handles, Jackie's face, like there was just a, oh, no, look on your face. <laughs> Andrew started talking. <laughs> and I was like, "What? What's what's going on? What's so I, I funny? Like, what's did happening?" Did I misspell it? Why is she freaking out? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Oh, I've just never no. said it out loud <laughs> as a thing before." Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> All right, so uh, yeah, go follow Sergeant Underpants. Go watch American Meltdown as soon as you possibly can, and uh, let's let's get the ball rolling on uh, Whiskey Meltdown because that legitimately needs to happen. I love it. Here we go. <laughs> well, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so yeah, much. This has been great. Thank you again so so much for joining. Uh, I, I'm I'm so used to saying us because I typically have co-hosts, which is why every time I'm like, thank you so much for joining me it's not that i'm trying to emphasize me it's my, my brain is used to saying us thank you so much for joining me tonight uh and if anyone does want to hear more of me and my co-hosts uh dan and eric who are typically here or you know just any of these silly interviews that we do where we go super in depth and then also talk about underpants uh be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and <laughs> And you can follow all of our social media accounts as well as uh, as the podcast by just going to our link tree. That's just linktree.com slash video monster pod. And that's also the handle on pretty much all of the socials video monster pod. All right. That's been it for this episode of video monsters where we take movies seriously, but we don't take ourselves seriously. Good night, everyone. podcast that was fun yeah this thanks guys thanks for sticking around so long i legitimately and meant for it to only be like an hour i knew it wasn't gonna happen (laughs) this was fun